Welcome to the Rosemont Baptist Church podcast. Rosemont is a thriving group of believers who desire to connect with Jesus and his church, grow in faith and understanding of God's word, and serve in our local area and around the world. We are located in LaGrange, Georgia at 3794 Hamilton Road and invite you to attend any of our three services on Sunday mornings. Please visit our website at rosemontchurch.org for more information. And now we pray that God speaks to you in a personal way as you listen to this week's message from Pastor Adam Camp. Take your Bibles up to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. This is the third week of our sermon series we've entitled Happily Ever After. Let me welcome you if you're watching from home. We're glad you're with us. If you're in the overflow, thanks for being in there this morning. And if you're live with us in our worship center, we're so glad you've come to join us. We've been preaching through a series on marriage because we all know marriages can be strengthened. Right? We know the stories of people that have struggled. We know the stories of people that are going through hard, hard times now, uh, going through difficulties. Uh, we've seen the data. We understand. But I want to say something to you. I've said it every week. I'm going to say it every week. And if you don't take anything else from this series, uh, for the rest of the time I preach on these the next few weeks, I want you to take this simple truth. There is absolute hope for your marriage in Christ. Let me say that again. There is absolute hope for your marriage in in Christ. It doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter the baggage, doesn't matter the mistakes. I'm going to talk through some of those issues today, but there is hope in Christ. And so we've been preaching through this series. We've been uh, encouraging you. And let me, let me just say this as well. Uh, we know that there are a lot of people in our congregation at home uh, that are married. We know there are some of you that are not. And so if you're not married, I said this at the first uh, sermon that I preached a few weeks ago. I want to say it again this morning. If you're not married, this is a great opportunity, especially our younger people. If you're in college or high school, this is a great opportunity through this series for you to better understand what marriage ought to look like and so one day when you find that person, one day when you get married, you'll better understand how you ought to live and exactly what the Bible teaches about marriage. And so we've been very practical in this series. We're walking through different texts of Scripture, very practical in our, our understanding. We've given you kind of some levels of uh, work here. The first level, I've talked about this each week, is just the sermon, right? You come in here, the sermon, if you don't do anything else with it, that's fine. Level two, if you want to delve a little more deeply, is homework. Each week we've assigned some homework. I'll do that again this morning for you to take with you, work on with your spouse. Level three is an online marriage assessment. We've had several couples already this week sign up for that. If you're interested, you go to our website, rosemontchurch.org. You can do this from home as well, rosemontchurch.org. It's called online marriage assessment. You click it, you'll get some instructions. A staff member will reach out to you and kind of help you walk through that process then eventually sit down with you and work through that assessment to help you better uh, understand what's going on in your marriage. Then level four, if you need some serious assistance beyond what we can offer at church, we've got a professional marriage counselor that would love to talk with you. Uh, we can make that happen as well. We've talked last week about expectations and the importance of expectations. By the way, all these sermons are available on YouTube if you want to go back and watch them and, and maybe get a little refresher. Last week was about expectations. This week is about commitment. And I thought it'd be fun to kind of tell you a little story at the beginning uh, to kind of joke a little bit about what commitment looks like to somebody. Nothing says commitment in a marriage like a 16-page prenuptial agreement, right? Now, this is true. I went back and looked. Rex and Teresa Legali, this is many years ago, but I was doing some research for this sermon this week, and this came up. Uh, they wrote a 16-page 
prenuptial agreement. If you're not familiar with a prenuptial agreement, it just means before we're married, we're going to sign this document that outlines some things. And usually it's written in case we ever break up, we'll know who gets what. You see a lot of celebrities doing it, a lot of actors. Uh, so prenuptial is the thing that some people do. This couple took it to an extreme. And I thought it'd be fun just for a couple of minutes to read through a couple of things that were in their actual prenuptial agreement. Here they are. One of the things, this is 16 pages, by the way. I'm just going to give you a couple. To retire at night at 11.30 p.m. and awake every morning at 6.30 a.m. Wouldn't you just love that to be uh, an agreement that you and your spouse, you have to go to bed at a certain time, have to get up at a certain time. They're going to live within a budget. That's really good, by the way. They're going to pay cash for everything. That's pretty good, too, including a new home in the future. That's a, that's a great thing if you can do it. This is one of my favorites. I would struggle with this one. They agreed to leave nothing on the floor overnight unless packing for a trip. A lot of y'all would be in trouble on that one, wouldn't you? One of my favorites, to never drive any closer to another car than one car length per 10 miles per hour. <laughs> Don't look at your wife, guys. Do not look at your wife right now. My favorite uh, to buy unleaded supreme fuel from Chevron only and never allow the fuel gauge to drop below half a tank. Isn't that fantastic? I could, I could sign up for that one right there. Uh, the man is going to handle the finances and the outside of the house. The woman's going to handle the inside, the shopping, and go to the grocery store. We will both make ourselves available for discussion 15 to 20 minutes per day. We won't raise our voices or get snappy. We will count to 10 first if we get angry. I think that is just fantastic. I think it's very interesting how some people kind of have this misunderstanding. I like the heart of what they're trying to do. They're kind of communicating and trying to figure things out, but I'm not sure a prenuptial agreement is necessarily the way to do it. So I wanted to think this morning, not about what the world says about commitment, because the world will tell you a lot of things. I want to think about what the scripture says about commitment and how we can take that truth now and apply it to our lives. So Matthew chapter 19, verses one through six, let's read that. Now, when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And this is normal here in verse 2. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking. Here's the question they ask him. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Verse 4, he answered, this is Jesus. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So I want to think about this idea of commitment this morning based on this passage of scripture based on this truth. So here's the first point. In our marriages, we, we need to develop we need to work toward, we need to fight for, number one, a commitment first to God. If you want to think about commitment in your marriage, you need to think first of all about your commitment to the Lord. And I'll challenge you with something here. If you're struggling in your marriage, if you're having issues on some level with your spouse, I would really encourage you to reevaluate your level of commitment to the Lord because my guess is what's happened is you've strayed a little bit from the Lord and it's caused problems in your marriage. 
Right? Usually within a marriage, that's the first stress, stress or struggle problem that couples have. They stray from the things of the Lord, right? They kind of get busy with life, with jobs, with kids, with activities, and they kind of put the things of the Lord to the side, and their marriage begins to struggle. So the first challenge, the first commitment, I think, in the marriage is, first of all, recommit ourselves to the Lord. Now, what Jesus says here is in a larger context. In fact, if you have your Bibles there, he's talking about marriage in the first part of chapter 19. Down around verse 13, he starts talking about children. Down around verse 16, he starts talking about possessions. And so he sees marriage within this larger context of the family unit and living for Christ. But I want you to notice what the Pharisees do to him in verse 3, right? In case you don't know know this, uh, the Pharisees don't like Jesus. And they're constantly following him around challenging him, tripping him up. And we see that in verse 3. The Pharisees came up to him, this is Jesus, and tested him. Right? They're trying to trick him. They want to catch him in a lie. They want him to say something wrong. And they trick him by saying, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, this is not a sermon about divorce. It's a sermon about marriage. But in the context of this particular passage of scripture, divorce is there. So I'm not going to miss the opportunity to talk about it just for a minute. Right? We could talk a lot about this. There's a lot of things we could say, but here's kind of the big picture that we see throughout scripture. God hates divorce and he wants you if possible to work through the struggles that you have. Now I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's simple. I'm just saying God's desire for you within your marriage is to reconcile, to fix these issues. Now, having said that, I want to be very clear about what's going on here because they ask the question about divorce, right? There are really, biblically, only two very narrow exceptions for divorce. And I'm going to talk about these to draw attention to something else here in just a minute. The first uh, exception for divorce is found down in verse 9 of chapter 19. Here's what Jesus says. I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except... For sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. So adultery is one of the biblical exceptions. The second one is found in 1 Corinthians. Paul adds to this in verse 7. I want you to listen to what he says. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and by the way, side note, marry a believer if you're a believer. Students, just trust me on this one. You need to find somebody that is a believer and loves the Lord like you do. But Paul says, if a woman has a husband who's an unbeliever, And he consents to live with her. She should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife. The unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. Here it is, the exception, verse 15. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. So really, the second exception is abandonment by an unbeliever. Those are really the only two biblical reasons for divorce. However, and this is awfully important, I would say to you, and I think the scripture argues, even within those two exceptions, there is still room to fix the marriage and there is still hope because the ultimate goal in marriage, even in the midst of an affair, even in the midst of this idea of abandonment or all sorts of other issues we find in marriage, the biblical ground still in the hope is forgiveness, reconciliation, and restoration. That's the teaching of scripture. 
And so you need to hear that, right? You need to hear that because a lot of couples in this church and in other places have survived an affair. Do you understand that? A lot of marriages have survived very, very difficult times. A lot of marriages have survived struggles. But Adam, you, you just don't understand, Adam. You, you just don't know. Uh, we fell out of love a long time ago, or uh, we're growing in different directions, or we don't have anything in common anymore, or we fight all the time, we argue too much. You need to hear this, and I, you may not like it. And I hope I don't offend too many of you. None of those are biblical reasons for divorce. None of them. And so if I'm talking to you and, and, and all the love I can muster up, I would say to you, you need to fix your marriage. And there's help. There's help. We're offering help. There are counselors. There are all sorts of things you can do. But this idea of reconciliation and, and trust and love and repentance and fixing your marriage is possible. And Jesus talks about this, right? Because the Pharisees come to him and say, listen, can we get divorced for any reason? Like we've fallen out of love or we're angry or we don't like each other anymore. We're growing in different directions. Can we get divorced for those? And Jesus, when he defends and defines marriage, he does it by going back to the beginning, right? It's not something that's just been thrown together. wasn't a last minute idea. Jesus says, listen, in verse four, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female. Then down in verse 6, so they're no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. All right, this is God's idea. From the beginning, this was his plan. Why is your marriage worth saving? Because it's a big deal to God. It ought to be a big deal to you. And if you're struggling in your marriage, if you're struggling with your spouse, for whatever reason, I would just encourage you to re-examine your commitment to the Lord. Just start there. Just start there. Don't worry about what your spouse is doing wrong. That's easy. It's hard to worry about what you're doing wrong. Take a look in the mirror. Be honest with yourself. Recommit yourself to the things of the Lord. And I think you'll be shocked when you do that at how God works in your marriage and begins to change things. So this idea of commitment within a marriage, the first commitment level is to the Lord. Now look at verse 4 again. Let's think through this together. So Jesus answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? Right? This is God's idea from the beginning. And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother Hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Second truth this morning in marriage, we, we've got to develop and work toward and fight for, number two, a commitment to oneness. Okay, we're working towards a commitment to the Lord, a recommitment to the Lord, whatever that looks like for us first. Secondly, we're going to commit ourselves to oneness. Now, Jesus explains this in an interesting way, and really, he's quoting back from the book of Genesis. But he says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Let's think through this just for a minute together. This doesn't mean that we're saying to our mom and our dad, we don't care about you anymore. This doesn't mean that we're separating from our family, never going to see them again. All this really means is we say to our parents, we love you, but we're no longer part of just this family. Now we're part of this new family, right? So I left my mother and my father. I married my wife, and now my wife and I have this new family, and this now is my number one commitment. This now is the most important relationship in my life. Doesn't mean that mom and dad don't matter. 
doesn't mean we're setting them aside. Or you know, I had dinner with my dad last night. I love my dad. He's a part of my life, and I want that to stay that way. But I understand that there's a greater commitment in my life now that I'm married than there is to my parents. You understand that? And so the Bible says, listen, we leave our father and our mother. We step aside from that relationship to form this new one, and the two now become one flesh. You say, great, what, what does it mean when two become one? Well, the easy answer is physical, right? We get that. Nobody in a marriage typically struggles, at least at the beginning, with the two becoming one physically. We understand that. The difficult part is how the two become one when you live and work together, when you raise children together, and putting your marriage a higher precedent over anything else in your life. How do two become one in other areas? That's the struggle, isn't it? That's the difficulty. So we think about things like emotionally, are the two one? Are we really and seriously considering the other person higher than ourselves? Are we emotionally thinking through what this person is struggling through? Are we being kind to this person? Are we serving our spouse? Are the two becoming one spiritually? Are you on the same page? We all know the families where the mom feels one way and the dad feels another, and I promise you that always brings turmoil. Listen, if you were to go to a secular marriage counselor who doesn't care anything about Scripture at all, a secular marriage counselor would even say to you, listen, you need to get on the same page spiritually. Because when dad feels one way and mom feels the other, if they're very serious about their faith, it's going to cause problems. So you need to get on the same page. Like, are we one in our desire to serve the Lord? Are we one in the importance of Scripture in our home? Are we one in church attendance? Are we one in how we're going to raise our children within the context and community of the local body of believers? Are we one spiritually? How about financially? This is one that's always interesting to me when I talk with younger couples, especially in the two becoming one. That means that when you get married or are married, it's no longer his money or her money. It's our money, right? I married my wife, and she had some student loans, it was no longer her student loan. It was our student loan. It was no longer her car and my car. It was our cars, right? I don't have my own private stuff, and she have her own private stuff. It's our stuff. And I think a lot of people miss that because they say, well, listen, you just don't understand, man. I've got one account, and my check goes in there, and my wife has her account, and her check goes in there, and I pay for the house. She pays for the car. I go to dinner. She pays for daycare. Right? You're causing separation in the way you set up your finances. That's just a simple thing. That's just a simple, practical thing you can do within your marriage to becoming one, right? Marriage is about teamwork, about sacrifice, about working together to make it better. When I was in college, we used to go uh, to, the, to the local gym there at the school and play basketball. And a lot of the guys were uh, obviously college, high school age, and some of them had played high school ball. Some of them had played college and were pretty good. And we would just run pickup games. You know, I did that a lot when I was younger. I used to love doing that. And there was a group of guys that would come in and play basketball with us pretty regularly. Now, I'm an 18-year-old kid, and looking back on it, I kind of laugh. But I looked at those guys when they came in. I thought they were just ancient. They were probably like 35 or 40 looking back on it, if I were honest. And I'm thinking, how do these guys even make it into the gym? They're so old and decrepit, right? Now I'm older than they are now, and I'm thinking that's pretty young. But those guys used to come in and play basketball. Now, listen to what I'm going to say. Any one of those guys that played against guys my age, one-on-one -on -one would probably have lost. They were a little bit older, not as athletic, not as quick as they used to be, maybe not shoot the ball quite like they used to. One-on-one, -on -one, they would have lost. But when those guys played together, pick up, against the younger guys, they never lost. We couldn't beat them. 
And we tried. I promise you, we tried. And it got on our nerves, right? Because we think we're better. You say, how does a group of guys that are considerably older, maybe twice as old as this other team, constantly win? Here's the problem. The young guys, myself included, we were very interested in how good we looked playing. Right? How good we look. If maybe a girl's in there watching us, you know, how many points we're going to score, how good our outfit looks, what we can do individually to make ourselves look good. These older guys didn't care anything about it. They were well beyond that, right? They were over that. And so they passed the ball, the guy that was open. They set good screens for each other. They would rebound the ball well. We couldn't beat them, not because they were better than us individually. They played better than us as a team. You understand the difference? The sum was greater than the parts. And I think sometimes we need to understand marriage like that. Sometimes we get so caught up in marriage about making ourselves look good or what we want to do or have this individualistic type mindset. We forget that we're a team and we need to work together for the benefit of the team, which means sometimes I've got to sacrifice myself for my spouse. I've got to give things up that I really want to do for her sake. Sometimes she's got to give things up for me that she really wants to do for my sake, right? This idea of oneness. We've got to foster that. We've got to fight for that. We've got to work toward that. So we've got this commitment to God first. Then we're seeing scripturally the two become one. There's this commitment to oneness. Now let's kind of finish this thing up again. Look at verse 4. Let's pull that up and look at it together. Matthew 19, 4, he answered, this is Jesus. Have you not read that he created them from the beginning, male and female? Therefore, a man shall leave father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. So the picture of God creating from the beginning, we're committed to him. We're committed now to oneness. In verse 5, the two have become one. Verse 6, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. Watch here in the end of verse 6. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Here's truth number three. In a marriage, we've got to develop, foster, fight for a commitment to make it work. We're just going to make this commitment. We've committed to the Lord. We've now committed to each other. Now we're just going to say, listen, we've committed to this thing. We're just going to figure it out. We're just going to make it work. Not going to be easy. We're going to hit some rough patches. There's going to be some arguments. There's going to be some problems in our marriage. But we've just decided from the beginning we're going to make this thing work. Here's the problem. I see it in the church oftentimes, and I especially see it in marriage. Far too many of us have come to this place where we kind of have this consumer mindset about life. Here's what I mean by consumer mindset. You go to the store to buy something, right? You're in, you're in the mood for a certain uh, type of food or a clothing or whatever. You go to one store. Let's say you go to Publix, right? Publix doesn't have it. What do you do? You don't just go home and say, oh, man, I guess I'm not going to. You go to Kroger, don't you? And if Kroger doesn't have it, you go to Piggly Wiggly. If Piggly Wiggly, on down the list you go, right, until you find what you want. If you really want it, maybe you drive out of town to get it. You've kind of got this consumer mindset. I'm going to go to the place that gives me what I need, right? That's a great strategy when you're buying milk. Not so much a great strategy in a marriage because what happens is we say, listen, my spouse used to offer me things that brought me happiness or joy or fulfillment. They used to do certain things that they don't do anymore, and I don't like that now, so I'm going to step outside of this marriage and find somebody else that can provide for me the things that I want in this relationship. You understand how that translates? 
people run into all kind of problems when they do the, the grass. I tell my kids this all the time. The grass is always greener on the other side. And it's funny, if you've ever noticed this, I, I live out in Mountville and it's beautiful and some pastures and a lot of cows. And it's not uncommon to drive down the road and see a cow with, with, with the head stuck through the barbed wire munching on some grass that is exactly the same grass on this side of the fence. And I always show my kids, see, see, Grass isn't greener. It looks better, but it's the same grass, right? We, we get into this consumer mindset of I'm going to find what I need in another person and forsake my spouse. We've got to commit ourselves very simply to just make this work. Now, I'll remind you, those of you that are married, there was a time when you took a vow. You took a vow typically in front of the Lord and in front of other people, and to your spouse. And I pulled up, I do weddings a lot, I have a great privilege to, to work with young couples, kind of help them through that process. I pulled up vows. I'm going to read kind of the way I say it. I'm going to use my name and Amy's so you hear them. Adam, do you take Amy to be your wife? To protect her, to care for her, watch, in sickness and in health, in good times and in bad, in riches and in poorness, do you totally commit to only her as God is your witness? Notice it doesn't just say, do you commit to protect her when everything's good? Do, do you totally commit to her when things are rich? Do you totally commit to her as long as things are going the way you want them to? Listen, listen, hear this. We have vows because we understand there are going to be times when maybe we're not as happy as we used to be. There are going to be times when we wake up some mornings and not pleased with who our spouse is. There's going to be time in marriage where we don't feel as much in love as we used to. We have vows for those moments. So even if we don't feel that thing we ought to feel or we want to feel, we've just committed ourselves to make it work. Honey, I don't feel the way I used to feel. You don't feel. Let's work really hard to get that feeling back. But in the meantime, we're going to stay married because we committed to do it. So many young couples, man, hit that first bump in the road and they just decide this isn't going to work anymore for us. Let's just end it. There's somebody else that can fill my, fulfill my needs. There's somebody else that can offer me the pleasure that I desire. It used to be you. It's not you anymore. I know I vowed this to you and before the Lord, but I'm just going to kind of set that aside in order to go find the thing that I want to find. Now, I want to give you some practical advice. Right? I've challenged you a little bit. I've stepped on your toes probably a good bit at this point. So let's take a look at some practical things you can do to help strengthen the commitment of your marriage. There's several things I want you to see. Pull them up very quickly. You can work towards recommitment in your marriage. First of all, recommit your marriage to the Lord. We've already said that. Like If you're struggling with your marriage, start with your personal walk with Christ. I promise you, you're going to be amazed. Just doing that, how it'll change. Be willing I always ask couples when they're struggling, are you both willing to make this work? Most of the time, if both couples say, absolutely, we're committed to make this work, then it's going to work. When couples say, not really, we don't think it's going to work, then it's probably not going to work. you got to be willing. Be intentional. Right? Live your life with intent. Don't just let things pass by and one year turns to two, turns to five, turns to ten. Be intentional in the way you live, the way you interact, the decisions you make. Be available. Listen, honey, I'm willing to set aside my schedule for you. I'm willing to cancel things that I've got planned, whether it's fun or maybe even work if I have to. I'm willing to be available to you when you need me to make this thing work. And be loving. Be kind. Treat each other with compassion, right? There was a moment, if you're struggling, there was a moment when you were in love and everything was great. 
right? The bills and life and kids and all kind of struggles have kind of covered some of that back up, but it's in there. Work to find it. All right, and then your homework. As we kind of go uh, to the last section and finish up, here's what I want you to do this week. Write a letter to your spouse. Tell him or her why they are the one, right? Men, I know you broke into a cold sweat. You're like, what? I got to write something on paper. Look, I get it. It doesn't have to be Shakespeare. doesn't have to be a Hallmark greeting card when you're done. Just jot a few things down. Listen, men, trust me. Just trust me. Your desire to do this and your effort will not go unnoticed. I promise. Just do the best you can. Put a few things down on paper. Let your wife know why she's still the one, why you're committed to her. Wives, do the thing, same thing for your husband. Go to the next. Talk about your commitment to your spouse and making your marriage strong. And then let's write this thing out. Then let's sit down and talk about it. We are committed to each other. We do love one another. Maybe we're going through some rocky times, but we can fix this. We can trust this. And I promise you, if you'll trust the Lord, if you'll follow the Lord, if you'll live out his commandments in your life personally and in marriage, you will live happily ever after. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this clear teaching in Scripture. Uh, We thank you, Father, that the Bible is not silent on relationships and love and marriage We thank you, Father, that you've given us such a beautiful picture here of how we can live, how we should live. You've given us a picture of hope, Father, and what that looks like through you. And so I pray for these marriages right now, Lord, marriages that may be struggling, individuals that may be struggling, Father, as they kind of recommit themselves, first of all, to you, Lord, secondly, to their spouse, and then just to make this commitment that we're just going to make this thing work. We're going to go through these struggles and these hard times. We're not going to give up on each other or on our marriage. Father, strengthen them. Walk beside them. Allow our staff, our team, the leaders of this church to walk beside them and help them. And Father, we'll praise your name for the wonderful things you're going to do within these marriages. Thank you, Father, for your grace. Thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.